The Lord be with you. It's good to be with you guys. All right, so today we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. And I had to share something really funny with you guys that I that I came across. So um, I grew up Catholic, so we, we said the Lord's Prayer every single week. And I remember as a little kid, you know, you're trying to learn the phrases and stuff, but there's no, like you kind of mumble over half of it and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I thought it'd be really funny to look up like what kids said for the Lord's Prayer, what they thought it was saying. I don't know. You guys, I'm just a sucker for those like funny things. I love America's Funny Song videos and all those kinds of things. So anyway, I just, I thought it'd be a kick to share this with you guys. I thought it was funny. So what kids thought the Lord's Prayer was saying? The first one is they thought it said, give us this day our jelly bread. Just appropriate, peanut butter and jelly, favorite food, you know. Uh, the next one was, Our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. Yeah. And this guy thought, he said, I grew up thinking God's name was Howard for a really long time. Uh, the next one is, Our Father in heaven, uh, how'd you know my name? Another funny one. This one, this one I loved. So it was a particular four-year-old, and he said, Forgive us our trash baskets, as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. (laughs) Which is kind of a good good definition of boundaries, you know? Anyway, so today we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to kind of frame where we've been, remind us kind of what we're doing here. Um, We're going through a sermon on the Mount, um, through a series, which is Jesus' Manifesto, right? Um... Basically, Jesus is explaining how life in the kingdom works, um, if we put it in the simplest terms. So in our section today, he's, using, uh, he's been using prayer, um, fasting, and giving to kind of compare and contrast uh, the righteousness of the Pharisees, which we don't have our TV screen anymore, so you don't get that fancy picture, but the righteousness, righteousness of the Pharisees, which only goes skin deep with the righteousness of the kingdom which we saw goes deeper than that. It goes under the surface, right, down to our desires. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of the sermon uh, is, the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer, which is really really the pinnacle of the Lord's Prayer. Um, It's it's in the middle because it's important. It's, It's the heart of kingdom life. And it's basically gathering up all of the pieces of the sermon into this prayer because it's an expression of life in the kingdom. And in this prayer, we're going to see that our desires are reoriented and reordered into the ways of the kingdom. And what I hope to show you today is is the beauty that I've found in this prayer. Um, And I want to suggest to us that the most powerful thing that you can do today is to pray the Lord's Prayer. Because it is a tool that reorients our desires. It reorients us back to who we are and who God is and what we're doing in the world. All right? But prayer can be a difficult thing, you know, for most of us. I don't know about you guys. It has been difficult for me. I think, um, you know, at one moment or another in your Christian walk, prayer is going to be a struggle. But today, the good news that we're proclaiming is that prayer isn't pressure to make things happen, but that it's training to free us, that it frees us to partner with the Father who's at work. 
How many of you guys have seen the movie Bruce Almighty? You guys remember it came out kind of in the early 2000s with Jim Carrey. Uh, he's hilarious. A lot of his movies are so great. So in Bruce Almighty, the basic gist of it is, is Bruce is a guy who's, who's had a lot of bad things happen to him. And he's blaming God for all of these bad events that have recently happened to him. Um, he gets a note that leads him to a warehouse where he ends up meeting God. And God offers to him his powers, right? He offers to him to become God. Um, Bruce accepts, becomes God, um, very quickly does a whole bunch of crazy things um, with all this new power that he has. Um, but he starts to hear all these voices in his head. And it, be, it grows and just becomes like this crazy din that is driving him nuts. And Bruce or God explains to Bruce that those, those voices that you're hearing, those are prayers that are being prayed all over the world. And you have to do something about them. So they're coming in like crazy. It's driving him nuts. It's too much to handle. Um, and so he comes up with a solution. He comes up with uh, basically a computerized system to receive all the prayers and respond. Right? So you've got prayers. <laughs> but he finds uh, that it's still too much for him to handle. You know, he very quickly answers a million of them to look over and find, I've got two million waiting for me. It's just too much for him. So in his frustration, he sets the computer program to automatically answer every prayer with a yes, which you guys can imagine <laughs> doesn't go well, which makes the movie funny. Um, so chaos eventually ensues. But it starts off with, you know, a woman walks by and says, oh, I lost 47 pounds on the Krispy Kreme diet. And <laughs> this other guy says, my stock's tripled in the last hour. It's amazing. Um, and you hear on the news, an unusually large number of lottery ticket winners happened today. But then it starts to digress. And you hear a guy walks by and he's like, oh man, I won the lottery, but I only got 17 bucks. Because all these people won it, right? <laughs> so it's very quickly digressing, um, plunging the city into chaos. There's fires, there's riots. It becomes very comical. Um, but Bruce has given them everything that they want, and getting what they want is causing this chaos in the city. Which this movie is is just an, it's a hilarious an example of when prayer becomes something that you do to just get what you want, which is a really common understanding of, of prayer in the world. Um, it's, it's oftentimes treated sort of like a, a magic pill to take, you know? Uh, you have to say the right charm to get it to work. You have to say just the right things um, or something bad might happen. You know, it almost becomes superstitious. Now, some of us might not struggle with prayer in that way, like rubbing a genie bottle, but we struggle with prayer in other ways. Um, I think it's very common for us to experience prayer as pressure, right? Something we have to do. Um, pressure that it's, that it's all up to us. Uh, pressure to find the right words to say. Um, and because we relate to prayer as pressure, I think it becomes either one of three things. It can become a way of, of striving to accomplish something, right? We're gonna have these prayer meetings and we're gonna take this city for Christ and we're, we end up striving in our own strength 
to accomplish something through prayer. We can use it as a, a way of gaining approval, right? Of, of getting brownie points, of um, doing it in a way for God, so that God is, is happy with us, right? We're getting our time in and now I'm okay, right? Getting that sense of <coughs> approval from, from the pressure that we feel to pray. Um, and a way to manipulate God to get what we want. And under this pressure, it becomes a machine to simply, that we use to simply get what we want versus a way for us to relate to our Father who loves us and cares for us and is inviting us to partner with him. And the good news we're proclaiming today is that prayer isn't pressure, but it's training that frees us to partner with our Father who's at work. And that is the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. It teaches us how to be in relationship with our Father. It forms us as we pray it into Christ-likeness. And it's a starting place. It's like a track for us to go on. It's like a, a trellis even for you know cucumbers to grow up. We think about that with a trellis, right? Prayer is like that. It's a structure that facilitates life. And there's freedom in that, right? There's freedom in that because, um, you know, we don't have to come up with a perfect prayer. We've been given the perfect prayer to pray. And it releases us and unburdens us and actually enlarges our prayers. So in Luke, uh, which is another place where we find the Lord's Prayer, the story is, is that the disciples have come to Jesus and they've said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray, which is interesting because that communicates that prayer is something that we need to learn how to do, that it's not something that just kind of comes naturally. Um, although some people, I wonder, some people just seem to be really good at prayer. I'm not one of those people, <laughs> but it is something that we all need to learn how to do. And this, what the disciples did, would be very, very normal for the disciples of a rabbi to do back in that day. They would come to their rabbi and say, Rabbi, teach us to pray. Give us your prayers that you pray. And he would give them the exact prayers that he would pray so that they could learn. And if we need to learn to pray, our understanding of what prayer is is important. Right? We need to understand and we need to know what it is we're doing. Why does it matter? What's the purpose of prayer? One of my favorite uh, definitions of the purpose of prayer uh, that Brian Zond told us a few weeks back at uh, prayer school, for those of you who were with us, was that the primary purpose of prayer is not to get something out of it or to get God to do something that we want, but to be properly formed into the image of God, into Christ, that it forms us into Christ. And so prayer isn't necessarily uh, expression as much as it, as it is formation for us. It forms us spiritually, it's, and it's something that we need to learn. How many of you guys know how to play an instrument or play piano? A few of us. I attempted to learn how to play piano. I was 
forced into playing piano. Never got over that hump. You know the hump that you get over with playing? Never got there. Uh, I kind of regret it, but anyway. Um, so our kids, some of our kids, have learned how to play piano. And when we were teaching them, you know, we didn't sit them down at the piano and say, okay, Raina, Ethan, here's the piano. And we're going to learn how to play. Just start playing. Just, you know, play what you feel. Just pour out your heart by hitting the keys. <laughs> Just be spontaneous. Go for it. Right? No. We, we taught them to the scales. We taught them the cymbals and the sheet music. We taught them um, the notes on the piano, the black and white and ABCD, you know, all of that. We taught them the structure of playing piano first. And they practiced. They practiced the scales over and over and over. And from there, they learned to be spontaneous, which was beautiful. They would come up with, oh, listen, mom, this melody that I came up with. And I put words to it. And it was beautiful. And every jazz musician knows this, right? They're, those amazing impromptu riffs that they come up with are unbelievable. But they had to learn the scales first. They didn't just start with these amazing riffs. Learning to play piano and learning uh, to pray are very similar. Learning to pray is kind of like learning to play music. And Jesus didn't, you know, when, he, when his disciples came and said, teach us to pray, he didn't sit them down and say, well, just start talking. Just say what you feel. Just pour out your heart to him. No, he began by giving them a prayer to pray. He said, when you pray, pray this. Now, there is room for spontaneous prayer. That is important and it's essential. We need both. But the Lord's prayer is where we begin. In our passage today, Jesus shows us how to pray by first talking about how not to pray. And then he talks to us about how to pray. So just like Spencer shared last week, he said how not to pray. He said, don't be like the hypocrites, which are the stage actors or the performers. My daughter, Raina, is in another play this year. She's very into drama. The play is 12 Angry Jurors, which is 12 Angry Men, but they needed to have girls in it too. So it's 12 <laughs> Angry Jurors. And in it, uh, this cracked me up when she told me this. She plays juror number seven. Seven? Seven. Okay. Juror number seven. And she plays an angry racist woman. Which for any of you who know Raina, that is like the complete opposite of who she is. I hope so. Ah, yes. Yes. <laughs> we may not need to have a chat if it's not. <laughs> For any of you who know Raina, that's not who she is. She is pretending to be an angry racist woman. She's not being authentic or real, but she's projecting an image for a purpose. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that when you pray. Don't be like the stage actors, which is a very important point to make back in that day because in the pagan culture back then, their theology involved a performance in prayer, just like you heard in the Old Testament scripture um, with the prophets of Baal, because they believed in a God who could be manipulated. 
And so they would run through lists of gods, just going through each and every one of them, hoping that one of them might be awake or listening or, you know, they, they had the belief that if they're long-winded enough or pray often enough, uh, if they show their sincerity by going on and on and on, one of them might hear. God might hear if I do all of this. See, their foundational uh, understanding of who God was was that he is fickle, he's not caring, and he's basically just waiting for us to get our act together before he responds. That was their foundational understanding of who God was. And Jesus was changing all of that by giving them this prayer. He was changing all of it, saying, God is your father, and he sees you. He cares for you. He knows what you need. So you don't have to go on and on and on. It's very, very countercultural what Jesus was doing by giving them this prayer. So then Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. He teaches them how to pray. And he says, when you pray, pray this. See, the reason we pray the Lord's Prayer is to learn how to live the prayer. Remember, it forms us and it helps us, enables us to live the prayer. It's not meant to restrict us, but to release us and enable the people of God. It really rescues us from the burden of trying to find out what to say, trying to come up with something to say to, our, to God. And it helps form the habit of prayer. It's brilliant, really. I mean, it's short, which makes it memorable and portable. You know, you can memorize it, take it anywhere with you. Don't have to have your Bible. <laughs> you, can, you can pray it in 60 seconds quickly. You can stretch it out and pray it over an hour meditatively. It's incredibly diverse, and it's an amazing tool. And the good news that we're proclaiming today is that prayer isn't pressure to make things happen, but that it's training to free us to partner with, with our Father who's at work. So I want us to real quickly go through each phrase of the Lord's Prayer because each word is just packed with meaning. I mean, we could, we could take a phrase and do a whole sermon on each phrase if we wanted to. Um, but I want to hopefully show us how it can form us, how it's releasing us into partnership with our Father. So it starts off, our Father in heaven. It begins with who God is and who we are. He's our Father in heaven. We're sons and daughters. So it begins with identity. And, and note that it's, it's our Father. It's not my Father. It's our Father. So we're praying in the plural which is reminding us of our place in the family of God, in the body of Christ. And this really releases us from the pressure of seeking that approval because we're, we know who we are. We're reoriented and, and grounded again in the truth that we are sons and daughters and that he is our father, which gives us that rest and that peace. Next is, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed, I don't know about you guys, but that's not a word I don't, I don't think I've ever used that apart from the Lord's Prayer in, in, um, in, in my talking. So, hallowed, 
Um, hallowed basically means to set apart, to be revered, um, to treat with the highest respect, to be important, right? Um, and this is basically, we're, it's a petition to, for God to act. We're asking for him to act. We're saying, let your name be hallowed. And for his name to be hallowed, we need to say, God, let us see you for who you are. Dispel the lies that we believe about you. Let us see you as you are. Because if we're believing lies about God, it really inhibits us. Just like we saw with the, in, back in the pagan culture of how they saw God. It inhibited them from connecting with God. If we're believing that he's angry or frustrated, it causes us to be anxious. We end up praying anxious prayers. And so this is a prayer that releases us from the images of God that we carry around that don't reflect who he is. Next is let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is saying, God, let your government come, let your, let your politics come, let your kingdom come. God's kingdom is basically where what God wants done is done. So we're saying, let that happen, God. In this phrase, we're aching and calling for the full story to be complete, the final reality to come. Let that perfect manifestation of God's will, of your love, come here on earth. And that releases us from the pressure of feeling like it's all up to us, that we have to bring the kingdom. It's away from even demanding uh, what we want. It's not let my kingdom come. It's let your kingdom come. And so we're submitting to God's kingdom in that phrase. We're submitting to what he wants and saying, let it come, Lord. Next is give us today our daily bread. Saying, Father, you are the good giver of, of every good and perfect gift. You know what we need before we even ask. I don't know about you guys, but prayer for me can very quickly turn into a form of worry. You know, I'm afraid if I don't ask specifically, I won't receive. And so it can quickly think, be, uh, you know, me thinking through, okay, what are the things that I want or I need? You know, I want my kids to be healthy. I want our marriage to be strong. I want our community to be growing into Christ-likeness. All of those things, I feel like I have to kind of ramble through the list. You know, oh, my cousin is sick. I pray for her and, you know, all of those things. But this phrase releases us from that worry and that anxiety about our needs because it's staying in that place of trusting in his abundance, trusting that he sees and knows what we need. The next phrase is, forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sin against us. And in this phrase, we are basically forming ourselves into the forgiving community of sinners. It's a beautiful, beautiful phrase. And Jesus is tying together uh, forgiveness from God and our forgiving others, which really speaks to the interconnectedness of humankind. We are called to be people who forgive because those who live in love forgive. That's the way our Father is, and that's the way uh, for us to be truly human. 
So this releases us to become a grace-receiving and a grace-giving people. And the final phrase, lead us into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Excuse me. Hold on. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's saying, God, we don't know what's coming. You do. And you know how weak we are. So, Lord, if there's trouble coming, take us around it. Lead us another way. Deliver us. Rescue us. Save us. Preserve us and protect us so that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Which releases us from the pressure of fear. Because we know our Father is with us. And he is our protector and our deliverer. So this prayer is incredibly formative. And it helps us to partner with our Father. That's why Jesus gave it to us to pray. And my journey with this prayer has been a long one. Um, as I said before, I grew up Catholic. Um, so it was something we prayed every single day. It didn't, I didn't become a Christian until I was 18. And I think I, I swung way over to the other side. You know, all spontaneous, all just from your heart. All of those prayers, those are oppressive, and they're dead, and they're rote, they're ritual. But I'm finding that, honestly, prayer school has really helped me to, um, to understand prayer more. And it's been a huge part of, of helping me to see that, really, I'm finding that the Lord's Prayer helps me to make sense of the world, helps me to make sense of what's going on in my life um, or what I'm going through. You know, have you, have you ever been in a situation or circumstance where you go to pray and you're just at a loss for words. You know, those are the times when I end up like saying the same thing over just kind of in a slightly different way. And it just kind of feels like the words are just kind of like, just kind of <laughs> falls out, you know? Um, I'm, I'm unable to say what I'm, what I'm needing to say. And it's in moments like these that, that this prayer is becoming something that gently leads me back to the truth of who I am and who God is and what we're doing in the world. It's, it's becoming a path that guides me and carries me and keeps me from digressing into the swirl of those moments where doubt is getting the best of me or anxiety is taking over. It's giving me words to say that my heart has been longing to say for years and years and years. So it's becoming a tool for the, for the simple days when everything's ordinary and normal and regular and smooth. And it's becoming a tool for the days when it feels like everything's fallen apart. <laughs> it's the days where I fall into this prayer and it carries me and it holds me. and is becoming a tool for everything in between. So today, God is inviting us out of pressure, out of performance, and into a prayer that frees us to partner with our Father who's at work. Prayer is partnering with our Father. It's God's way of sharing his power with us. And he invites each of us into that today. <laughs>